Welcome, uh, Genesis Church. So good to be with you today. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but July is a special month for our Genesis Church Carmel campus because for this July, it means four years, four years ago that we launched this campus here in Carmel. And I know many of you uh, were a part of that from the very beginning. I still remember there were 140 people uh, that basically stood up, raised their hands, families, individuals that said, you know what, we'll go help start uh, the Carmel campus with our Carmel staff. And now four years later, reaching almost 400 people, if not more. Uh, man, there are special things happening through this place. And so can we just celebrate the Lord today and all of his great work uh, through this campus? Thanks for being a part of it. Man, it's a special place and uh, so many, so many cool things ahead of us. Man, what could the Lord do over the next four years? You know, if we're faithful, if we keep trusting him and you see all this growth around Carmel, well, don't you think the Lord wants to continue uh, growing not only by people, but by influence and with his resources and all the fruit that he wants to bear here. There are so many things yet to be done. So thanks for being a part of it. This is a great place uh, to invest uh, your life. Great people here. Uh, again, thanks for being a part of that. I don't know if you realize this or not, but there's another anniversary uh, coming up this week on August the 1st that I think is pretty special too that you may or may not be aware of. But five years ago, your campus pastor, Steve Wallen, uh, stepped into full-time ministry uh, with Genesis Church. You want to join me in celebrating Steve for just a moment? Don't you appreciate Steve? And I know it means a lot to you. It means so much to me. I, I might get my dates mixed up a little bit, but it was probably, if Steve's been here five years, maybe it was almost six years ago, I was out running one day. Genesis Church was really growing. We were needing some help. And so I was kind of praying as I was running a little bit. And I really felt like the Lord just kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, Steve Wallen's going to be on the team. And uh, it was later that night that Jenny and I happened to be with Steve and Benita. And so I kind of cornered Steve and Steve was working in the corporate world at the time. And I said, Steve, I just want to let you know what the Lord said to me today. And that is that you're supposed to come into full-time ministry uh, with Genesis Church. He said, you're crazy. Uh, Benita looked at me, both of us, and said, I could see it. And uh, wouldn't you know it, uh, Steve came on staff with us and Man, he is such a great guy, and he loves the Lord, and he loves serving you, and I know he's so excited, not only about this Carmel campus, but about Genesis Church, and man, what's God going to do through us, again, as we keep trusting him, and uh, so I sure appreciate Steve and Benita and his family. Uh, thanks for stepping into full-time ministry. You've made a difference in a lot of people's lives, so let's celebrate the Lord and Steve just one more time. Benita, Audrey, and Grace you count too. So thanks for being a part of that. So, hey, let's pray. Let's give thanks to the Lord and just invite him to speak to our hearts today. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you uh, for your continued work through Genesis and specifically uh, through our Carmel campus today. Wow, what a thrill. Four years of ministry and all of the fruit, all of the changed lives, all of the generosity that has gone out from this place, Lord. Thank you for every man and woman and student and child and family that have been a part of it, Lord. It is our desire to pursue you, to know you, Lord, to live for you in this world. Uh, we want to invite you, God, to just keep doing great things through us. We want to trust you even more in the days ahead than we do right now. And uh, we pray that you'd help even more people find their way uh, back to God through this church. Thank you for Steve, for his family. And uh, Father, as we uh, enter into this time right now, we pray that you'd open up our hearts. We believe you've got a message uh, for us today. And so we're ready. We're sensitive to that today. We want to apply these things to our lives. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, have you ever found yourself uh, in a situation or uh, maybe a moment and you felt like a complete, absolute, 
outsider. All right, just, just totally out of place, totally unprepared, a bit of an outsider. Like, I, I feel that way every time I get around hunters, all right, you know, just to be around, you know, people that hunt, you know, and trying to fit into that conversation, totally feel out of place. Uh, the same is true, like, when I'm at something like LA Fitness and I decide to wander over to the weight side uh, of the, uh, the fitness center, always feel a little out of place uh, over there. You ever, ever find yourself showing up for an event and you discover that you're underdressed? All right, you know, like maybe you went thinking it was business casual, but it was actually much more formal than that. And so you've got the awkwardness of showing up for a, an event and you're a bit unprepared. But it, it, it works the other way too uh, in dress. Like one time uh, prior to coming to Genesis, I, I served at a church in Louisville, Kentucky. And, you know, Louisville isn't really Kentucky as we like to make fun and laugh of Kentucky, you know, the place where you, you got to have a passport, you know, to cross over the river or whatever. I mean, Louisville's a lot like Indianapolis. And I was working at a church in Louisville in the city, and outside of the city, about 15, 20 minutes away, there was a family uh, that was needing some help during a funeral, and so my church assigned me to go and help this family. I didn't know them, but what I discovered is that as soon as you get out of Louisville, all right, I mean, even just 10 or 15 minutes, well, it all changes, all right? It's a little bit more Kentucky, you know, when he gets outside of the city, and so I remember showing up for this funeral, you know, in my suit and tie and everything, and just feeling a bit like an outsider, a bit of the city boy, you know, with all these great and wonderful, fine uh, country folk. And uh, so it's definitely a little out of place uh, in that moment. Do you, ever, do you ever feel out of place as a follower of Jesus? You find that at all today? Uh, ever, ever find yourself in a, in a conversation or uh, in a moment where you just really feel out of place as a follower of Christ and really uncertain about what to do. I, I got to be honest with you and tell you that I, I do. I'm feeling it more and more. And um, I'm uneasy about it, if I'm honest with you at times. And uh, I think as I watch our culture shift, uh, I'm sensing this growing hostility towards Christians uh, and really towards uh, against churches, particularly Christians who are choosing to live by a biblical worldview or churches that want to live by a biblical uh, worldview. It gets me wondering, uh, again, about what the, the years will bring, the years to come. I mean, I, as, as a leader here of our church, it, it makes me wonder, you know, how's this going to impact our church uh, in the years to come? And if I'm honest, it makes me a little bit nervous for my kids, too, uh, as a parent. I mean, these are interesting times. And would you, would you agree? I mean, these are just these are really interesting times that we're living in right now, and there's so much so much happening in our world, so much unrest, and, and this increasing pressure, you know, on Christians. And so think about all of those times that you're left wondering, what's my course of action as a follower of Jesus Christ? And you know, the, the, the truth is, the fact is this, that when it comes to our culture, again, that is really, you know, trending in this opposite direction of our beliefs as followers of Jesus, when you think about it, we've got options. All right, as a follower of Christ, as a church, we've got options. One is that we can declare war. Uh, you can do that as a Christian. You can do that as a family or as a church. You can declare war against culture. You can fight and you push back. And so we see this all the time and you see this all the time. And maybe you've got some people around you in your life that kind of operate in that manner. Uh, another tactic would be to say, you know what, let's, let's isolate ourselves, all right, as followers of Christ or as a family. And so let's, let's get out of the schools uh, completely. Let's get as far away from culture as we possibly can and isolate yourself and isolate your family, family and, and get away from everyone. We'll just ride it out and we'll survive. And so some people choose to live that way. There are other Christians that will say, you know what, well, let's just, it'd be better to blend in. Let's just look like everyone else sort of go undercover. We can keep the peace if we do that. What's, what's the right answer? What's the right course of action? What's the most important thing that we can do as followers of Christ 
today? Well, I believe that the Lord has an answer for us and for that question today. And to better understand that answer, I'd like to invite you, if you would, to turn in your Bibles uh, to the New Testament, uh, to the book of 1 Peter. And if you're going to use one of the Bibles around the room on the floor, it's page 850, uh, the, uh, the epistle uh, of 1 Peter, this letter that Peter uh, wrote. Now, Peter, if you're not familiar with him, was an apostle uh, in the church, a leader in the first century church. Uh, this is the same Peter who had spent significant time with Jesus. Uh, he had been discipled by Jesus. And around AD 60, uh, Peter writes a letter to the first century Christians uh, living under the tyrannical leadership of the Roman emperor of the time, a guy by the name of Nero. Now, Nero was a crazy, psychopath leader, uh, really. History records that he set fire uh, to the city of Rome, thinking that he'd rebuild it, uh, you know, much stronger, you know, after it burnt down. Well, not everyone appreciated his plan, and so his approval rating sort of dropped uh, during that time, and so he came up with a backup plan, and that is that as a way of recovering, he blamed the Christians. Uh, he blamed the Christians for this fire, and from there, what he did is he unleashed a period of inhumane torture and, and persecution of every Christian that he could possibly get his hands on. And so he'd capture Christians, and before uh, setting them loose, and set them loose only to be hunted down by wild dogs, he'd, he'd have Christians covered in wax, uh, hang them in the public gardens, and set them on file so that, fire so that people could come and, and watch them burn. Even Peter... You know, the one who writes this letter here, he would eventually be arrested and crucified upside down for his faith. And I, I just give you all that as a bit of a backdrop, you know, for what we're reading. I mean, I tell you this so that you know what these Christians, what Peter's listeners were up against. And so if you think we live in interesting times, you know, the Christians here, they're living under the gun. And so what Peter is about to call Christians to living then, all right, we should have no problem with, right? All right, piece of cake for us. Well, let's find out. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter writes, he introduces himself right away. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And so right away, we want to point out, who's he writing to? All right, Peter says very specifically, he calls them God's elect. All right, these are the Jewish uh, and Gentile Christians of the day. These are men and women and students who have turned to Christ and made a commitment to follow Jesus in this world. And I want you to notice also how he refers to them. He calls them exiles. All right, maybe it says exiles uh, in your Bible. If you're reading the NIV, other translations say uh, strangers uh, or foreigners. Uh, in the NIV, it's exiles or the Greek word peripitomoi. Uh, it, it simply means it's tram translated as someone that's living uh, temporarily in a foreign land. It's translated as someone who is simply passing through. And so don't miss what Peter reminds them right from the start. And actually and honestly, what he reminds them of right from the start is true for us today, and that is that as followers of Jesus Christ today, if you follow Christ, you're a stranger, uh, you're an outsider, you're really a foreigner in this world. We're exiles in this planet. The truth is this is not our home. We're just passing through. If you're taking notes today, write this down. If you're in Jesus Christ, if you've made a commitment to your life to trust Jesus, the fact is that earth is not your permanent address, all right? It's not your permanent home. I mean, when you, when you made a decision to follow Jesus, your citizenship was transferred from this world to heaven, which means that it's supposed to get a little uncomfortable here. All right, that's what Peter's acknowledging, what he acknowledges then, what he acknowledges today. He, he's saying, you know what, you, you can expect to be looked at funny. All right, you can expect some tension. 
uh, in different moments of your life. I mean, and like the Christians then, we're strangers and we're exiles here. We're just passing through. He continues in verse 2, again, speaking to these exiles, he writes, to, 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 to you who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, he says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Peter, Peter wants to make sure that we understand our identity here, all right, and who we are in Christ and what that means. And so he points to God and he gives him credit, first of all, for our salvation, this is, this is God, this is our Father in heaven who sent Jesus Christ, who gave his life, who gave his life on the cross, and then he rose from the dead. And so we know we have this hope that our life is in him. It's found in nothing else, that our hope comes from him. And so as Christians, we are his chosen, as Peter says, which means that he's got big things in mind for us and for you and for me and for Genesis Church, all right? He's got a mission for us. And what are we chosen to do? Well, notice in Peter's own words, he says, we are chosen to be obedient. Now, hang on to that word. We'll come back to that in just a few moments. But here's what I want you to see in these first two verses right away. First of all, I want you to see that Peter emphasizes that the earth is temporary, all right? So our home is in heaven. We're just passing through. But second, because we are chosen, there is a reason and there is a purpose for our stay and for your stay. And so next, he's going to kind of present a strategy of sorts for a living. Like, what do we do? How should we live and operate in this sometimes uncomfortable world? He continues, verse 3, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Now, we've been in a series all summer long where we're talking about the attributes of God. And an attribute of God is just simply something that's true of God. Well, another of God's attributes that we're not going to cover in this series is the attribute of God's mercy, all right, that he is a merciful God. And because he's a merciful God, he has compassion and he has love for sinful people like you and me. It's because of his mercy that he made a way for us through Jesus Christ. And I want you to just kind of stop there for a moment and again, just kind of comprehend, try and understand what that means, the significance of that for people like you and me. I mean, it's a reminder for us that no one is beyond the love of God. And I hope that you'll hear that for your life today too. Uh, especially maybe for those of you that are here for the first time. Maybe this is a message you haven't heard in a really long time, if ever before. The truth is, the fact is that no one, that you are not beyond the love of our God. There, there is nothing that you can do in this world to disqualify yourself from the mercy and from the love of God. And so the good news for us is that with Jesus, the good news for you is that with Jesus, there is a way out. There is a way through. There is a way that God offers us a, a new birth that scripture, living, or that scripture refers to, and it's this new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. That's why as Christians we'll say that Easter is our good news, all right, that Christ has risen from the dead. And what that means for you and for me is that when you trust Jesus as your Savior and you commit your life to following him, you're made new. It's like you're given a new life, a, a new body, a new heart, a new fresh start, in life. Peter calls it a living hope. And so the implication is this. The implication for Christians here is that because this world isn't our home and because we belong to Jesus, well, then there should be such a joy and peace about your life and it should mark you forever. See, here's the truth that when you think about it, Christians should be some of the most joy-filled people on the entire planet. 
And that's got me thinking. You know, if that were to be true, is that true? That Christians ought to be some of the most joy-filled people on the planet, are you? You know, is the power of Christ in your life the good news for you and your life? Do others see that about you? I mean, it's a joy. It's a joy that means that no matter what you're going through, no matter the suffering, you know you're just passing through. This is a temporary place for us. This, this world is not your permanent address, which means your trials you know, here are, are temporary. It means for us it's a reminder that our pain and our suffering and confusion on this earth is temporary. And it doesn't mean that you got to be all happy and giggly all the time, all right? That we got to pretend like nothing ever gets us down or that we don't ever go through troubles or difficult times that we're reminded that no matter what, you know and we know that this world is not our home. This is a temporary place for us. I was... Uh, reading a book over vacation a couple of weeks back, a book called uh, The Long Walk, the true story of a, a, a Polish officer uh, in World War II, a guy by the name of Slavomir Ravich. And uh, he was captured uh, in the late 1930s by the Soviet forces. He was tried in Moscow and eventually sentenced to 25 years in a Siberian gulag uh, prison camp. And so the book uh, is a story of his transport deep into the Siberian wilderness where he eventually wound up in this uh, work camp. And uh, so in 1940, uh, he, he's there and he uh, comes up with a plan, he and six others, and they escape. They escaped in Siberia in the winter uh, from this camp. And the rest of the story is their 4,000-mile walk. These seven men from this camp in Siberia through the Gobi Desert in Mongolia, ups and down these mountains, a year and a half story of the hospitality that different people extended to them along the way. They eventually, a year and a half later, three of them made it to India where they were reclaimed by British uh, forces and restored and taken home. They talk about, you know, what, what kept you going? What was the motivation through all of the extreme circumstances? And it was this, this thought of going home, like the, this vision, this possibility that we might go home once again. I mean, for, for these men, for, for this person, he had, fixed, he, he had a, a fixed reference point beyond his present circumstances in this world. The same is true for those of you that are in Christ today, that what we need is a fixed reference point beyond the present circumstances that we are enduring or that we're going to endure in this world. And so Peter continues again in verse 3. You know, he talks about this great mercy, you know, that he's given us a new birth, all right, and into an inheritance, verse 4, that can never perish, spoil, or fade, this inheritance that is kept in, for, kept in heaven for you. That, that prize that Peter is talking about, uh, that inheritance is eternal life with God. Now, that's the life that we live today as followers of Christ. We can enjoy that now. We can enjoy uh, eternity. We can enjoy our salvation today, but it's also this promise, again, this reminder that heaven is before us, all right, this place where there'll be no more tears, there'll be no more pain, there'll be no more confusion, and we'll be with Jesus, and, and, and no one's going to take that away from you. Again, that's the fixed reference point beyond the present circumstances of this world. And again, now that Peter has established our identity, again, we are God's chosen. We're his children for these people 2,000 years ago. This reminder of no matter what you go through, the earth is not our home. We're passing through. Next, he's going to help them understand now how to live from this place, 
all right, and from these reminders. And so skip over to verse 13, if you would, because with verse 13, Peter's begin, Peter gonna, is, is going to turn the corner here with him. First Peter uh, 1.13, he says, therefore, now that's a transition word, all right, again, so, so Peter, it's almost like you can hear him saying, all right, now because of who you are, uh, to the question of, okay, how do we live, how do we operate in this present moment, and so with everything we have going on in the world today, what can we be sure of as followers of Christ too? Peter says this, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And so Peter says, because of who you are, all right, because of your identity in Christ, because of what God has done for you in Jesus, here's what should happen in your life now. Peter says, be alert, be, be fully sober. Uh, basically, don't, don't be unaware of what's going on around you. Stay informed, be alert. Don't, don't just simply coast through life. Don't turn your back on culture and pretend like nothing is wrong. Don't be naive to the struggles that you're going through. And so be alert, be intentional. Don't lose sight of the hope that you have. And because of the hope that you have, here's what it means for you. Verse 14, he says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in arrogance. Now, there's the obedience that I said we'd come back to. Peter says basically this, as followers of Jesus Christ, do not conform. All right, now, that world just simply means to be molded. All right, Peter says, don't, don't be molded. Like, like when it comes to the world, when it comes to culture today, don't just conform. All right, don't just go along with the flow, all right, because it's the popular choice and it's what everyone else is doing. Don't, don't give up on what you've been taught or set it all aside for four years. Don't, don't become complacent or believe what everyone believes. He's basically saying, don't go back to the way that you used to live before Christ. And why? Because you belong to God now. All right, you belong to him. You're a child of God in this world. You are a foreigner here and then in verse 15, he really hits the heart of what we want to get at today, and that is, he says this, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, because, or be holy, because I am holy. Peter says, I want you now to be holy in everything that you do. Be holy, because God is holy. It's like this. Peter basically says, here's the mold. All right, you want to know what to pattern your lives after? All right, it's the holiness of God. And it doesn't shift. And it doesn't change. And it doesn't take a season off. And it doesn't move. And it doesn't get modified. It doesn't get amended. It's the holiness of God. Now, here's the thing. We've been in this series all summer long, again, called The Father Is, where we're studying these different attributes of God. And what we discover today is, and if you want to write this down in your notes, is that the Father is holy. This is another attribute of our God, that our God, our Father, is holy. And by holy, we mean that he is separate. Uh, by holy, we mean that he is set apart. Look what the scripture says about God, Exodus 15, verse 11. The writer says, who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? Psalm 22, verse 3, the writer says, yet you are enthroned as the holy one. Uh, you are the one Israel praises. Proverbs 9, verse 10, Solomon says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. See, to say that God is holy is to say that he is separate uh, from all evil, that he knows no sin. Uh, the truth is, the fact is that he can tolerate no sin. To say that he is holy is to say that he is distinct and that he is different. See, God's holiness means that he is on a plane uh, completely different than all of us, that he's the creator, 
We are the creation. And that just means that he has absolute power over the world, that he is above us, that he is beyond us in all things. He is, as R.C. Sproul describes, an infinite cut above everything else. The uh, great and famous painter, uh, Leonardo da Vinci, uh, discovered this a bit, experienced this a bit. I was reading where uh, when he painted his famous uh, Last Supper painting that he had uh, little difficulty uh, with all of it except for the faces of the people that he was painting. It was the most difficult part for him. And so uh, he held off, and, uh, but he eventually came back to it and he went to work on all of the faces and didn't have any trouble with them uh, except for one. Uh, he didn't feel worthy to paint the face of Christ and so he held off on it. He just kept holding off and doing other things, unwilling to approach it, but knowing that he must. And then in a moment of despair, he just painted it quickly and moved on. And he was quoted as saying, basically, there, there's no use. I, I can't paint him. I, I think that's a fraction of what the prophet Isaiah experienced. Isaiah 6 is one of the better known passages when it comes to highlighting the holiness of God. And if you're familiar with that passage here, the prophet Isaiah encounters God and he falls on his face before the Lord. And in his terror, Isaiah overhears the angels worshiping and praising God saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We sang that together as a church just a moment ago. Here's something interesting about that. For Old Testament writers, there were different techniques uh, that they used in writing to indicate emphasis. And one of those techniques was the repetition of words. And so there are different places, for example, in the New Testament where you may read Jesus saying something like, truly, truly, I say unto you. The, the words are repeated uh, here in repetition. And to do it two times was a signal to readers that this is of critical importance. All right, to say something twice, two words in a row was emphasis that this is of critical importance. But here's the thing, to mention something three times in succession is to elevate it what is sometimes referred to called the, the superlative degree. Basically, what the writer is saying, hey, this is super important. And so to read something like holy, holy, holy three times in, in Isaiah and again in Revelation, well, anyone reading this in ancient times would have stopped there and known, I better listen up. This is of critical, extreme importance. The holiness of God is the only attribute in all of Scripture repeated three times in the Bible. See, the fact is, the emphasis is that the Father is holy, that he is separate, he is set apart, he is distinct. And as difficult as it is for us to get our minds around something like that, as Christians, we're called to holiness too. Peter is pushing us. He's urging these people and you and me today towards holiness. And the fact is, the bottom line is that we are made holy once and for all by the blood of Jesus Christ. And there is an incredible work that we can't fully understand at what Christ has done for us on the cross. And because of that, God perceives us as holy. Again, because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. But holiness, when applied to Christians, means that we are set apart now for service. Again, it is because of what Christ has done for us. We are now his chosen. We are exiles in this land. And as a follower of Jesus, we are set apart. We are called out for a greater purpose to be distinct. And, and the reality is that, that that's hard for us. That, that's hard for me, if I'm honest. I mean, because so often in life, we just want to fit in, don't we? We want to just blend in. We think it's easier to fit in. I mean, we don't want to be left out. We don't want to be distinct. We want to be included. We want to be a part of things. It's difficult to live a holy life when living a holy life means living in the minority. 
I ran across an article uh, these past couple of weeks, an article uh, entitled The Rise of the Redheads. All right, get this, The Rise of the Redheads. And according to the article, yes, it turns out that there's been some backlash amongst the ginger community. All right, that's what it says in the article. I, I think that's the right terminology, but evidently outrage uh, in there being very few, if any, redheaded emojis uh, on your phone. And so if you don't know what an emoji is, those are the little faces that we put in our text. Well, at the time that this article was written, there were something like 700 emojis and no one could identify an emoji with red hair. And so again, according to this article that was in the Huffington Post, there are evidently redheads that are very upset and we all know that you don't want to get a redhead upset. And, uh, well, they started a petition demanding that redheaded emojis uh, be made available. Why? Well, because they don't want to be left out. Now, the rest of us that are not redheads, we hear something like that. You kind of think it's silly, but it's because you're not a redhead, right? I mean, you notice. You notice if it's you. You notice if it's your group that's left out, if it's your identity, all right, and you're not a part of something else, you're not on the list we don't want to be left out. It's just human nature, all right? We don't want to be left out. We want to be included. It's easier to blend in. But what Peter says to these Christians and to you and me is this, that look, you're going to be called increasingly to this holy life, to be set apart, to be distinct, and it's going to be hard for you. But we must trust. We must do it. See, here's the thing for us today. If you're going to live for the Lord, if you're going to follow Jesus in this world, you need to know right now that it's going to be hard for you. It's supposed to get difficult. And so that's true for those of you that are students today, you know, and with school just direct, right around the corner, whether you're in middle school or high school, you need to know right now that it's going to be difficult for you, but we must. It's true of you that are college students and maybe you're getting ready to go back to school. I want to challenge you today to decide right now the person that you want to be as you go into this next school year, all right? We're called to be different, to be set apart, to be exiles in this world. It's true for those of you that work a job right now. You're going to be called to this increasing holiness, and it's going to be challenging. It's going to be true of you at your apartment complex or in your neighborhood. There's a reason why it's not easy, and Peter knows the struggle. And so if you read First Peter for yourself in these next seven to eight verses, he's going to remind them once again that Jesus is coming back, and because we know that we're saved by God and we have Jesus and our inheritance in him, all right, this reminder again, once again, that we belong to him, and because we belong to him, again, his encouragement encouragement, his urging that we, here's how we must live. He says, holy lives. He is calling us to holy living. And so what do we need today? What's that look like today? What does God expect from us as followers of Jesus today? Well, before we wrap up, just briefly, I want to turn now, if you would, to chapter two. All right, in 1 Peter, because Peter, this is where he gets a little more specific for what he means. He gives us a picture of what holy living looks like then and what it looks like today. He basically says this, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, again, because you've been called to holy life, look what he says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Now, that word malice is sort of a general term for sin, all right? It, it just describes evil deeds or the sin in your life. I like the way Eugene Peterson describes it in the message. He just says, simply says it's because you've been called to a holy life. He says, so clean house. Basically, the, the sin in your life, it's got to go, all right? Don't, don't tolerate it any longer, all right? Quit pushing it to the side or pretending like it's not there. Make a clean sweep, he says, of malice and pretense, envy and hurtful talk. And so I like how one pastor defines holiness. He, he defines it this way. He defines by noting that Peter begins... Really, if you look at it by defining holiness here, if you want to write this down, holiness is what we get rid of. 
all right? It's about cleaning house in your life. And so he's using repentance language. That he's basically saying, I want you to rid yourselves of these things, things like deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind. Now, it's not an exhaustive list, all right? But we're supposed to get the point here of what he's referring to. And so basically, he says, don't be satisfied with sin in your life. He says, clean house. And so holiness is getting rid of personal sin. It's choosing to say, you know what, I'm not going to tolerate the sin in my life any longer. And then verse two, he says, now like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. And so first, holiness is what we get rid of. Second, personal holiness has everything now to do with what you crave. And what we should crave as followers of Jesus today is godliness and holiness and it's everything we get rid of, but not just what we get rid of. It's what we choose to pursue instead. It's what we give our lives to. And Peter says, now crave pure spiritual milk. And so when he says that, he's talking about God's word and making God's word the foundation for your living. He's thinking about how we should every day and more and more in increasing measure pursue a relationship with Jesus. And I know that I don't need to tell you this, or at least most of you, but Jesus is our greatest example of personal holiness. I mean, he's God's son who came to earth, and even though he was tempted, there was no sin in his life, and we know that Jesus was fully dependent on God for all things, and he studied the scriptures, and he let the word of God serve as that foundation for him, and he took time each day to be alone with the Lord and to be in prayer, and he lived under the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit. And the thing is, of all of the resources available to Jesus, the scripture reminds us that these same things are available to you and me as followers of Christ today, too. And because Jesus lived a holy life and operated in a sinful world like ours, we can live a holy life too. We can be with people. We can, we can love people. We can come alongside of those that are hurting and come alongside of people who are far from the Lord and make a difference in their life. Peter says, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Again, get rid of the sin crave more than anything a personal relationship with Jesus. Personal holiness is what we get rid of, but it's what we pursue instead. Here's something interesting, and I, I heard Kyle Eidelman, some of you may know Kyle, pastor, and great writer. I heard him talk about this uh, with, with this passage in mind. He, he points out this. He says, who does Peter call the holiness here? It's not a trick question. He, he's, he's talking to Chris, Christians, Right? That's who he's talking to. And, and he says that, and, and I, I want to point that out because I want you to notice that he's not calling the culture out, all right? Peter doesn't call non-Christians to holiness, which just basically means he's not expecting non-Christians to live like Christians or to live like Jesus. Can I ask you this question this morning? Don't you think it's time that we stop expecting non-Christians to live like Christians or to live like Jesus too? I mean, seriously, I mean, how often do we keep expecting people far from the Lord to clean their own house so that we can finally clean up this country of ours once and for all? I think what we need to notice today is that we might have it all wrong, that if we truly want to see change in our country, if we really want to see people turning their hearts to the Lord, maybe it's time for us as Christians to focus more on cleaning up our own house and lives so that we can be a better light and be a better influence to the people around us. I was reading 
my Bible the other morning working through a devotion that I started back uh, at the beginning of the year, and the author of this particular devotion was talking about revival, and he said something interesting about revival and revival in America, and it went something like this. He basically said that revival in America isn't going to happen when non-Christians start turning to Jesus. Revival in America is going to happen when Christians repent and start turning their hearts and their lives to Jesus. And so Peter says, hey, I know it's hard. And I know that many of you might lose your life tomorrow or later this week or next week, but pursue a holy life. Even right now, get rid of the sin in your life. Repent and pursue God and a relationship with Jesus is the most important thing that you have. And then if you skip over to verse nine before we wrap up here, he says, but you are a chosen people. Again, he's just casting a vision for them, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into this wonderful light. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Basically, again, the more we pursue holiness, the more we seek to rid our lives of sin and pursue Jesus, Peter says, the more we're gonna be given the opportunity to share our story, to share our faith and our hope with others. And get this, not out of pride, all right, we're not, we're not talking about a, a holiness here that means arrogance, all right, uh, uh, with, uh, with others. This is not self-righteousness. This, that, that's not what we're after. That's not what Peter's after here. It, basically, what he says, it's a different perspective, all right? It's a living hope, and it's obedience, and it's loving God with all of your heart, and it's loving your neighbor as yourselves. Uh, in, in Hebrews 12, 14, uh, Paul says this. He says, I want you to make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy, he says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Why aren't more people coming to the Lord today? Why are more and more people turned off at the thought of church or Jesus? I think we just need to ask ourselves, could it be our sin? Like, could it be our preoccupation with so many other things than Jesus Christ? Is it possible that it's my lack of holiness or your lack of holiness? I mean, could that be the problem? Could the problem be, be me? and you and others today. But Peter had hope, and he was an optimist. And I want us to have hope, and I want us to be optimists too. And we end with this in 1 Peter 2, 11. He goes on to say, as we close, he says, Dear friends, I urge you, now as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage against your soul. He says, I want you to live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And so Peter says, make it your point to become increasingly holy in all you do. And the truth is that it doesn't mean that people will like you. And it doesn't mean that they'll always understand. But the promise is that the more and more you pursue holiness, the more and more people will look at your life and they'll wonder and they're going to ask questions of why and how, and when they start asking those questions, well, we need to be ready to answer. And you need to be ready to tell your story and to share the hope that you have in the Lord. Let's pray together. You know, these are definitely interesting times. The one thing we can be sure of as followers of Jesus, again, is that earth is not our home. We are exiles here. Christ has risen from the dead, defeated sin. And what we want, what the, what the Lord wants us to see here today is that he wants us to choose a life of holiness. 
getting rid of the sin in our lives and pursuing Jesus with all of our heart and soul. And so we pray today, Father, we thank you. We thank you for the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And that's a hope that doesn't disappoint and a hope that can help us through our trials and our struggles that, Lord, you said we'd have in this world. Father, we help us to find our strength in Jesus today, the one who gives joy, the one who is joy. Father, we know and recognize that he is the one that can help us overcome sin and live the holy life, the holy life that you've called us to. Give us that help today. Give us that strength today. God, put in us that desire to live more completely for you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.